All right, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files is with us. Scott, when I saw your tweet last night about Miles Turner, part of me wanted to cry. Um, and then the report was that he stepped on a ball boy, and I thought to myself, boy, good thing that didn't happen under Scott Agnes's ball boy watch, or else you might have been escorted out of the arena. Yeah, no kidding. No, it did it did not happen uh, for me back in the day. I I hit a couple of players when they weren't looking with ba- passes and things like that. <laughs> but I can tell you this in all seriousness. It is very dangerous around there, right around the basket. And generally, you'll have a coach shout out, hey, uh, heads up or clear the pass or things like that to make sure that everyone, whether it's coaches, basketball interns, or ball boys are all clearing the space. So when a player goes up or down right around the hoop in that dangerous area, nothing uh, like this happens. It's just uh, just truly unlucky and fortunate it's nothing too serious, uh, they don't believe. I was going to say, any idea on the severity? Yeah, I was told just a, just a minor injury. Uh, they're not expecting it to keep him out any more than another game or two at worst. And mostly they were, they were saying, hey, let's get to tomorrow after he sleeps, swelling. But um, very minor is how it was framed to me. You know, one more thing on the Turner front, and Jake has talked a ton about Isaiah Jackson. When I saw that he was out and before I saw them announce that Terry Taylor would be in the starting lineup, thinking, oh, boy, what a great opportunity for Isaiah Jackson. Can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he be in every night mm-hmm. five? Jalen Smith staying at the four and yet they went with Terry Taylor. Were you as surprised as I was? I was, uh, except for the fact, and I think this is probably the reasoning behind it, is he's going to be playing with that second unit for the foreseeable future, and he's probably got a lot of nerves, and he was expecting one thing. Do you really want to disrupt all of that um, and and play the mental game as well? And so in turn, you you started Terry Taylor, which if this tells you anything, this guy – at this time last year, had an undrafted contract, uh, was an undrafted player and signed uh, just a camp deal with the team. He hadn't even signed a two-way deal with the team at this time last year. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, but in turn, I think mostly just allowed for Isaiah to keep his normal role. But I thought you could tell there was a lot of disruption at the very beginning of the game. And I think Miles and him being out and how it impacted the rotation was probably the biggest culprit. Scott, do you believe that as this season progresses that the Pacers will be more conservative in terms of injuries and holding guys out or aggressive, whichever way? In other words, will they allow or be more patient or err on the side of, you know what, the guy tweaked an ankle, we'll rest him out because of the fact that they are not fighting for standings and are very upfront about that this year. Will we see what normally would be a two to three game deal turn into a four to six game deal for some players just for the fact of there's no sense in rushing them back? Yeah, I, I would think so. And, and exa- for exactly what you said is for what purpose, right? Like you're not fighting for that one game. They might mean something, uh, you know, come April, uh, whether it's in January or right now or later on in the season. So, I think there's that natural tendency. However, I will say, especially a lot of the new guys on this roster in particular, is they don't want to miss a practice. They, they're back in the gym at you know 10 o'clock at night after uh, a full day of practice earlier in the day. So a lot of the, their new mentality 
for many of these guys is I want to be out there. I want to compete and I want to beat the guy, whether it's in practice or not. But I think, yeah, there, there will be that natural tendency a little bit of like, Hey, it's not this deep. Let's, let's take it easy. See how, you know, X guy feels tomorrow. And Scott Agnes is with us here from Fieldhouse Files. The reason to subscribe to Fieldhouse Files. Last night, Scott caught up with Tommy Lloyd, and I want to hit on that before, again, Tommy Lloyd, the head coach for Benedict Mather in Arizona. So I want to touch on that before uh, we go here. But a couple other things kind of rotation-based. Is Daniel Tice hurt, or, or why is he not even dressing? Yeah, it's twofold. Primarily, yes, he, he's – as it was told to me, he was a couple weeks away from playing. And the others, I, I, somewhat too, I think it goes back a little bit to what Jake and I were talking about in that last point uh, a little bit, is what's the purpose? Like, what's his fit on this team? Uh, and it's not a knock on him. It's just a, a mismatch, right? Because they have all these young guys, especially at center, that want to get minutes. Tice will help you win. He has championship-level experience. He played in the finals last year. He's been there, done that. Uh, Pacers don't exactly need that right now. Um, and he'd like to get back to a team that is trying to win and contend. Um, so there, there is some knee soreness. He also didn't have any real off season. Um, I was able to talk with him and I'll, I'll write that here coming up this weekend, but, um, they're just, I think they're just taking it easy with him and making sure he's a hundred percent when he finally does play, uh, whenever that may be. Scott, did you really understand the, the, race car dealio i mean i love racing and i love the the pacer games but they brought out this like super wide half car and then mario andretti sat in it and like i don't think they gave him the instruction manual and then like all of a sudden there was loud roaring noises and uh mario kind of looked like well where's that coming from and everybody kind of looked around and wondered what was happening and then and then they pulled it off the floor is that uh, kind of like miles turner Last night, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. They they inexplicably pulled both off the floor, and people right. were like, "What's uh-huh. happening here?" Is that a fair assessment of what took place? I think so. Uh, it it was kind of it's a, something new they wanted to do this year. It's kind of incomplete to this point. They're still figuring out kind of the process and how they select people, individuals to Can, do that. There's a couple teams across the league, Jake, that, that do something to this extent. Like the main one most people know about is the Houston Rockets have someone come in. If they make a free throw, I think there's you know $5,000 or a small number like that um, that's donated to a charity and it helps get everybody fired up. In Philadelphia, you're bringing the Liberty uh, lookalike bell there at center court. So I, I think this is one of those things that's trying to get creative and, and have fun in a down year. It's also a playoff, their slogan for the year revved up. So here, let's go down to Mario Andretti as he revs us up for the game, but it's like uh, banging the yeah. anvil for the Colts. <laughs> okay. Yep. But you know, the, the, you the problem is the, and, and I hope people don't see the season this way. The car doesn't go anywhere, Right. Like, I don't want that yeah. to be and symbolic of the season if itself. Turner's getting hurt on a ball boy. Imagine what's going to happen if you got an <laughs> IndyCar full throttle. That's a good point. But uh, can we get – do you think there's the chance that any of the three of us this year will be able to rev the engine? <laughs> I could see you guys. They have you guys playing the bowling pins. I think you guys both got in a game of knockout. You know, there might be that January game on a Monday when – 
They need somebody for you. Uh, Kevin's Kevin's game of knockout, a lot like Miles Turner's right. season uh-huh. opener. Yeah, yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very reminiscent of that. Did you hear, Scott, there? There might be the Monday game in January against the Thunder. Basically, the, the 41st game of the 41 home games that they could give us a call for. Uh, Scott Agnes with us here, Fieldhouse <laughs> Files. Scott, like I said, you caught up with Tommy Lloyd last night. Um, Jake mentioned the Jeremiah Johnson anecdote on the telecast about Benedict Matherin basically saying to Tommy Lloyd, like, I want to be in this office because I want to get better. You know, when, when I get outside mm-hmm. of this environment, um, too much praise for me. Uh, what did you find interesting about your conversation with Tommy Lloyd? I think it, it was that for the last 12 months, they what a part of what they were emphasizing was to be aggressive and attack and, and, get out of his comfort zone a little bit because I think the number one thing everybody has praised Ben here for is his ability to not only attack, but finish through contact. And and I think Tommy was a little bit uh, impressed, surprised, what have you with how he was able to take on NBA level contact so soon, but the slashing, the attacking, that mentality was something that they really uh, first initiated, I think around, um, a year ago, remember Tommy Lloyd came over from the Gonzaga being assistant for so long. He was the top recruit for Demo- uh, top guy recruiting, Demonis Sabonis. He had been there forever, finally got his own gig and, and then got Matherin. And so I thought it was that KB that stood out and also that just the positive reinforcement mentally um, with a lot of players these days. And for with him and with Matherin, it was, hey, you belong here. Treat it like you belong here. You're good, you know. Um, and then, so I thought that was really impressive. Scott, last question for me. Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files, our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We've seen in Philadelphia, you know, the process, trust the process. And then they end up with obviously a really good team. I know that that's what Indiana has in mind here, and I get it. And we are just entering this tunnel. And there are good young players that are going to be fun to watch, but it's not going to be necessarily always easy because of the fact that they're not going to win a lot of games. How long do you think this process is? Like, in other words, we're having this same conversation in what year when we are able to look back on all of this and say that it was that it's a, a completed process. That conversation is when. I think ideally you'd start to like have it, having that conversation with great progress and hope. Um, I think three years from now, and I'm not saying you're a contending team by then, but you start, you're starting to see the fruits of the labor. Um, uh, there's still probably a couple players away, but remember they, if this draft pick is, if their own draft pick is high next year, plus they have two more and you may not even use those. Plus, presumably you're going to make at least two or three more trades this season um the main thing i've said is it's it's going to get uncomfortable and bad for this season maybe a little bit of next year but i really think starting next year you're trying to turn the corner it's this is not like the process where they were just trying to be horrible for three and four years at a time i I think it's really if they can have it their way it would just be this year i could see it creep into next year um but this is this is different, and but it's nothing to the scope of the process, which some would say is not a success. They haven't got to the finals. They haven't won a title. They did find the one franchise-changing guy in Joel Embiid, and that was the pers- purpose of what Philly did. I kind of look at it like this, Scott. You feel like Halliburton and Matherin are definitely two pieces to the puzzle. 
can you find a third or a fourth piece this year from the, you know, Smith, Duarte, um, Neesmith, you know, that that group. And then, like you said, you have the three draft picks next year. That's an opportunity to find additional pieces. You know, I think that's how I kind of look at it is you feel really good about the top two guys right now, potential to mm-hmm. add another star in next year's draft. And then if out of the others, the others in that young category, Nemhard would probably fall into that group as well. If you can get two or three out of that, now all of a sudden you get to 2024, 2025, and there's like five or six guys that you have to work with, and I haven't even factored in the ability to add some guys with the cap space that they're going to have. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That's how I, I see it as well. I mean, we saw from the first quarter what Matherin and uh, what Matherin and, and Halliburton were able to do, scoring the majority of their points. You throw in and what, what we all believe Isaiah Jackson can believe, maybe he's that, that big guy. And what you really need is the 3 and D. You, you need that big wing defender who can also become, ideally, this, the number one player on this team. You get that then a lot of these guys mature, develop, and grow into their roles. Then you start to really like with what you have. Scott, for those that have not yet subscribed, let them know how they can get access to Fieldhouse Files. Yeah, you'll just want to go to fieldhousefiles.com, and every time I post a story, it's direct to your inbox. And So I had something up right when Miles got hurt. I saw that firsthand and even told Rick Carlisle about it. <laughs> he wasn't even aware of it. That sounded awkward. How quickly and sudden that happened. Yeah, what was his like? What was his overall reaction there? Yeah, can you imagine? He goes because normally I don't know his specific routine, but normally he's back at a coach will be back in a, the office, maybe talking with people, maybe finalizing the game plan, whatever. Um, he was like, "Yeah, I don't know anything about it. How do, how was it? Uh, what did it look like to you?" <laughs> And I was like, "Hey, I'm not going to speculate," but uh, didn't he didn't look comfortable in his it may be an ankle injury. So he and, did uh, not know that Turner had gotten hurt yet. Correct, no, because it was right about five o'clock. We talked to him right around five seventeen uh, yesterday, um, and all that time. And I, I don't know this for sure, but my guess is at that point, Miles was still in the training room, and they were evaluating what it was, if it was anything type thing. And so coaches are very, very busy. Yeah, to be fair, they're in two totally different places, right, Scott? I mean, to be fair, they're they're like in totally different places at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a short walk, but down the hall. But, yeah, absolutely. I guess it's kind of a – we had a few awkward moments with them earlier in the week too, Jake, right? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Scott, Par as for all, the course. great work with the Tommy Lloyd stuff up on Fieldhouse Files and looking forward to our conversations each Thursday this year. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Scott Agnes right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, by the way, on Twitter, Hoosier, it doesn't have a name, uh, they're keeping a running count now of how many times I say in terms of. So I've now got in terms of, listen, and there was one other one that's my catchphrase. I'm trying to eliminate these. I'm, li- I'm like Benedict Matthews. I don't. I don't recall too many of those. It is hard. You know, it's – it's. I'm sure I've got a ton of them. It's difficult doing a morning show. The hardest thing for me to adjust to has been, like, being in the the awake enough, quite frankly. But just when you're talking for three hours, you become yourself so hyper-aware of catchphrases – 
that you almost catch yourself trying to stop yourself from saying them because you don't want to sound like a break, a broken record to our, our listening audience does deserve better than me sitting here saying the same words and phrases over and over. And I'm hyper aware of it, but it's, it is a challenge. See, the thing that I fight is over the course of three hours, do you act like the listener has only been listening for 10 or 15 minutes? That is very – and that's why you probably hear both of us say a lot, I said this earlier. Right. Or right, I meant, right. Because you want people to know – in Indianapolis, I can tell you, Kevin, the, the average – it's so different now because so few people are driving downtown for work anymore because of work at home and things like that. Well, people can stream the show, too, for two hours in the morning. Correct. Which we love, obviously. The research would indicate that the audience recycles every 22 minutes. In Indianapolis, the average person, if you're listening right now and you listen in your car on your way to work, your commute on average is 22 minutes. So every 30 minutes, you kind of reset the audience because you have a new group of people coming in and coming out. It's like a revolving door. And you want to respect those first and foremost, that have been listening for all of that time because that is most appreciated, right? But also for those that are just entering into the room, you need to reset the conversation. And finding out how to say the same thing five different ways is one of the fun things but challenging things about this job. No doubt about it. You know, in terms of that, listen, that's just the way it is. Good bingo card there for those keeping track <laughs> at home. Ring the bell. Get some Pacers calls here coming up in just a few minutes. Zach Kiefer joins us at 9.05. Kevin and Corey. I forgot to tell you, Kevin, um, whoever the guy is that is dominating our listener fantasy football league that is constantly proposing trades. Yeah, I hope he loses every game by 100. Why? I, I, too much ego. Well, that seems harsh. He's a listener of the program. Uh, and we're very grateful for that, and um, I will shake his hand and thank him, but I'm jealous. I He proposed a trade to me that I accepted yesterday. Not that anybody cares about our fantasy team, but he proposed a similar trade. to. I guess the question is whether or not he's shopping Josh Allen. I don't know if Josh Allen did something to him, if he maybe he Does foresees he have him. an additional quarterback on the roster? He traded Josh Allen to me for Aaron Rodgers. Straight up? Uh, I also received, I will tell you the trade right now. While we await, Zach Kiefer going to join us here in just Look a moment. Look how far you've come to bad-mouthing our fantasy draft, and now you're evaluating fantasy football trades. No, okay, I sent him, well, he, okay, he got Cooper Cup out of me. Ooh. But I sent him Aaron Rodgers and Cooper Cup, and in return I received Josh Allen uh, Drake London and Devin, I, I can never say his last name, DuVernay. 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 Um, so Cooper Cup was a big loss, but Josh Allen is going to get you more points more consistently probably, more guaranteed points per week than would Cooper Cup. I feel, that was a good trade, I think, for you, as long as you got some wideouts to offset losing Cooper Cup. Uh, the current wideouts that I have on my I team. I know you got Mike Williams. I do have Mike Williams. I also have T. Higgins and uh, Olave. Olave's been hurt. He's leading the league. Or he's leading rookies in, in receiving yards, right? I have Pickens as well. Kind of boomer bust. Um, joining us now, mercifully so, so that you don't have to hear about fantasy football anymore, he joins us on the Payless Liquors hotline. You can read him at The Athletic, one of the premier writers covering the Colts both on and off the field. 
is Zach Kiefer. Zach, we mentioned it earlier. This is one of those games that if you're Frank Reich going into Tennessee, you are saying to yourself, I need to get this one, not just because it's a divisional game, but this is the team that the, that my owner wants me to be, right? Yeah, man. All roads lead through Nashville. Those are Frank Reich's words yesterday. And you look at the Titans, and they're not very good in a lot of different categories, statistically speaking. But as far as this rivalry is concerned, I'm not even sure it's much of a rivalry right now. The Titans have won four in a row. They, they beat the Colts fairly handily last time at Lucas Oil Stadium. And we know how much this means to Jim Mersey. He's tired. He's sick and tired of losing to the Titans. And I feel like Sunday could be a turning point. Either you graduate to the next step and you're really a contender in the AFC South and it's really your division to lose after these wild first seven weeks, or you're the same old team that can't get over the Titans hump. Zach, I want to wait until a little bit later to get your thoughts specifically on Sunday's matchup. I think you and I might differ a little bit on that. Uh, I thought it was a pretty healthy injury report yesterday and kind of going off of that. Do you think there's a better chance the Colts maintain a role for Deion Jackson or Rodney Thomas? Right now, I ain't taking Rodney Thomas off the field. I'm not doing it. I'm not At taking McLeod off the field. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really hard to make a case to do that. And I know who that keeps on the sideline. That's Julian Blackman. But Blackman wasn't great early in the season when he was on the field. And there's something working right now with, with 25 and 26, with the two Rodneys. Like, I didn't see this coming. This is not what we saw in August in Westfield, hardly at all. But those guys are playing great. And, and the only completions that Thomas gives up are the ones where a ref gets in his way. So, <laughs> you know, the seventh-round pick from Yale, I didn't have him as my locked-in starter at, at free safety. But right now, he's playing too well to take him off the field. And I hear you on Deion Jackson. That dude runs hard. It's not easy to make 10 catches. I don't care how far they are from the line of scrimmage. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit of Deion Jackson in the run game, which hopefully, and we've been banging this drum for about, I don't know, 25 years now, maybe they can get Naheem Hines the ball in the passing game. I saw this conversation with JMV yesterday, and I feel like with how poor your offense was before Sunday in, in multiple areas, protection, turnovers, run game, et cetera, um, and how good it looked on Sunday, I, I don't think you can get too far away from the no huddle. I, I know in Frank Reich's history, it's a, a very weak thing, and then and, and by weak I mean you know just that game specific thing, and then they do something totally different the next week. I feel like it's something they got to keep very close to utilizing in a game in the back pocket and not be afraid to tap back into, how do you think they will utilize no huddle moving forward? I'm 100% with you. You need to use the pass to set up the run. And I know that sounds backwards for this team, but they're running back. But if they go back to this run on first down for one yard, run on second down for a loss of two, they're going to be in the same spot. And I do not believe this offensive line is fixed. They had a great day Sunday. The up-tempo obviously helped. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that one Sunday against the Jaguars means this offensive line has made the same turn that it did in week five of the game against the Buffalo Bills, I want to say, in 2018. So they're not fixed there, and I think they're going to have to keep doing the no huddle. And I think it works, and if that means Frank Reich has to get away from the multiple sets and multiple formations that he really likes, that's fine. You needed to do something on offense because it was – abysmal the last time we saw it and that was Denver on Thursday night so keep it moving 
keep it no huddle. You've got a quarterback who can be accurate, even if he has to throw it 50 times. No, that's not sustainable. But what's going to happen is if you keep throwing it like that, you're going to have 28 break a couple runs, and that's going to change everything because that hasn't happened yet. Zach, give me the area. You know, we talk so much about what the Colts aren't doing or where, where they're lacking. That's just kind of human nature of covering a team. But give me the area that right now through, what are we, through six games, that you look at and you say, you know what, there is no way in August I would have predicted this area was playing as well as they are. Whether it be a player or a unit or just a scheme, it would be what? Yeah, good question, Jake. And, and I'm going to go with tight ends. I was really down on the tight ends in July and August and all off season, to be honest. And I don't want to say I was dead wrong because I think the concern, the concerns were valid. Jelani Woods didn't have a good camp. He didn't, he dropped a lot of passes. He looked lost. The dude has three touchdowns on five catches so far. And those are really, really valuable touchdowns because one of them won the chiefs game. And then the one on Sunday was, you know, a fourth quarter touchdown. So I had a lot of questions about the tight ends, and, and Granson has given them a spark, and he's the rare guy who's given them yards after the catch. I mean, for a while, it was just, it was just Michael Pittman Jr., and, and to get some yards after the catch on those crossers from Granson has been huge. They're not, you know, I mean, Moali Cox had his two-touchdown day against the Titans a couple of weeks ago. I did not love that group. I didn't love the receiver group, and I'm a little bit wrong on that because Pierce has stepped up so quickly, and Paris Campbell's played well, but... You know, I was down on their pass catchers behind Michael Pittman Jr. I think everybody was. And that's not really an issue right now. And it's it's a good thing for the Colts. Zach Kiefer's with us from The Athletic. A wonderful piece up on Grover Stewart from earlier in the week. Some really funny and, and cool anecdotes in there. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Um, I would say one of the major defensive questions right now, Zach, is Brandon Faison, Isaiah Rogers for that third corner spot. I come back to a Chris Ballard quote that he he brings up quite often. The locker room knows. The locker room knows who should make this football team. The locker room knows who should be on the field. I would think if you lie detectored uh, 50 guys in that locker room, I think all 50 would say Isaiah Rogers should be playing over Brandon Faison and really should be playing a full-time role. I know he's out snapping him a little bit, but in my opinion, it should be a full-time role for Rogers right now. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get the justification for it. They want to have three corners ready. That's fine, but this guy's giving up plays for you. And I'll throw another Chris Ballard quote at you that, that's on the same topic. You guys watch the same tape we do. That's what he told us one time. And, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not an NFL general manager, but I know what I see, and I know that Faison's hurting them, and I know that Rodgers is helping them. And it's not just because he's coming in after Faison, but – Rodgers has this knack for the ball, and this is Ron Miles talking, not me. This is Ron Miles, the defensive backs coach, who said some guys have that and some guys don't. And I think there's some, some little bit of technical stuff that Rodgers needs to get better at, but he's a heck of an athlete. And if you guys have seen those fumbles he's picked up, he makes a really hard play look really easy, and he's great at tracking the ball. I mean, he had 11 interceptions in college. That's a lot. That's a lot of interceptions. He's just a playmaker, and I just don't get why he isn't on the field more. I think everyone out there would tend to agree, but they're stubborn about this. They're stubborn about this, but, but you're dead right. The locker room knows, and we know, frankly, we know when we see a good player and when we see a bad player, and Faison's not getting it done right now. And for a team that's been in one-score games just about every week this season except for the Jacksonville game in week two, one play could decide the difference. They can't keep affording to make this mistake. 
See, Zach, for, for me, it's both sides of this equation. Faison is struggling. He's struggling defending the pass. He's struggling with penalties. He's struggling against the run. If you think back to the first matchup with Tennessee, oh, he whiffed on Derrick right. Henry on the edge, and Henry went right around for a touchdown. So that's one side of it. The other side that you just brought up, Rodgers finds the football. He is so instinctual. I mean, look at him fielding that wild punt on Sunday. And for a defense right now that's lacking in the turnover category, I would want a Rodgers out there who can get his hands on a few more balls than the secondary has this season. That's a good point. He finds the football. He f- Some guys are able to just find it. Some guys aren't. And, and that's another point that's really relevant here. This defense is playing pretty well. I'm not overly concerned about the missed gap assignments on Sunday against Jacksonville, those big runs. That's not very characteristic. But I am concerned about the turnovers. They're just not producing them. And now I didn't expect them to go out and get 33 like they did last year, which was second in the league. And it's obviously a big part of it is they don't have 53 on the field, and he's a walking turnover. But that's how you win games, and that's going to get even more important as we get into November and January when you get into these tight games against some good teams. The Eagles are coming to town to speak of. So without guys like that that can make turnovers, that's just making it even more difficult for your defense. And you remember before the game-winning drive on Sunday, what did the Jaguars do? They moved the ball down the field. It was a 10-minute drive. They converted a third and 13, a third and 12, a third and two, and a fourth and one. You've got to find a way to get a tip ball or to get a big sack or to get a turnover any way you can because that's really the name of the game in this league right now. And it's an identity of this defense they haven't yet found this season. Zach Keeper's our guest. Payless Ligger's hotline is where you hear him. The Athletic is where you read him. Zach, in terms of this game with Tennessee and then looking beyond it, I know in the NFL you go one week at a time. After that game is Washington, which now that Carson Wentz is not playing, should have been an innocuous game that probably very few in the league would have even noticed. Did Jim Mersey put unnecessary spotlight now on that game to make back-to-back big ones for Indianapolis based on his comments of Daniel Snyder? Yeah, I think so. I think it makes it certainly interesting. And you're not going to get a Carson Wentz appearance at Lucas Oil Stadium, which would have been a storyline in its own right. But now you've got the two owners, and and that's the reality. And and credit to Jim Irsay for speaking out and saying what a lot of owners don't have the guts to say, what needed to be said. Because I can guarantee you, a lot of owners feel this way about Daniel Snyder. But Jim Irsay, as we know in this city, as everyone out there listening knows. He says what he wants, and he does not care about the backlash, whether it gets him in trouble or not. But I absolutely think there's a little bit more on the line for that game between two fairly average teams at best going at Lucas Oil Stadium next Sunday, the day before Halloween. Is there any chance? Jim Mersey's indiscretions are very public, and Jim Mersey, to his credit, has been very public in addressing them. When Daniel Snyder comes out and says, I've got dirt on owners, the owners need somebody to fire the warning shot back to Daniel Snyder of, you know what, step back a little bit. Any chance that Jim Irsay just felt the responsibility of standing up for his other owners because he knew he was the one owner whose life has been so transparent, there's no way you're going to bring anything up, so I'm going to be one that falls on that sword. Yeah, I can't speculate to why Ursay decided to speak out. Other than what I know of Jim Ursay and in my conversations with him over the years, he does not back down 
from challenges. And I know that's a vague way to say it, but he doesn't care about, you know, this this veiled threat, if that's what it was, based on the ESPN report that Don, the dance center has dirt on these owners. He, if, if you want to fight Jim Mercer, he's going to fight you back. That's sort of his, his mantra. And I think that's, you know, been steeled into him through 50 years in this league. And I don't think he's afraid of any type of fight. I think his words kind of reflected that. Um, I can't speak to why he decided to go out there and say that. But I would say this, for all the public criticisms Jim Mercer have faced over the years for the things that he has gotten into, we'll leave it at that, he is not the only one. There's a lot of very, very rich men who have shady stuff under the covers. And the one that comes to mind is Jerry Jones. And a lot of that's been tiptoed around for years. But Jerry Jones didn't say a thing on Tuesday at the owners' meetings, at least publicly in front of the media. And Jim Mercy stepped up and he said something. So good for him. Zach, last one from me. Um, an early look for you at Sunday afternoon. You like Tennessee? Yeah, until the Colts do it. I'm sticking with Tennessee. And I know that a lot of the numbers go against that. But I will say this. Tennessee is 92% in the red zone. Somehow, some way. Now, they're not going to be able to sustain that. But they're really good in the red zone. And Frank Mike made a really good point yesterday. They don't beat themselves. They just don't beat themselves. What do the Colts do when they play the Titans? They beat themselves every single time with turnovers and dumb plays and failed third down stops. So, I think the Colts are the better team. I think they're the better team on paper. But until they go down there and do it, and and I think you know I think the Titans' defensive line's a problem. And I'm not sold on the Colts' offensive line after one good game. So, we'll see. But in Colts, until the Colts do it, uh, I'm going to take the Titans. Always a pleasure, Zach. Appreciate the conversation each week. And again, the Athletic, where you can read Zach works. Uh, great, Zach's work. Great Appreciate work on the Grover piece, Zach. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Um, question for you, Kevin. In talking about the Colts, you had mentioned earlier this week, and I wanted to to hold your feet to the fire, so to speak. Here, you had mentioned earlier in the week that you thought there was more to the elevation of Sam Ellinger going from third string to second string at the quarterback position. And then, and I apologize to people, I kind of forgot about that, was reminded of it and wanted to give you the opportunity to expand on that. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that back up. Um, I think there was some owner influence on that move. You know, Frank Reich yesterday had the phrase of, you know, Nick Foles has looked lights out in practice. You're not demoting Nick Foles, given Frank Reich's background with him. Um, without, I think, some influence from the owner. Um, I don't know for a fact that Jim Mercer was outright like, I Sam Ellinger needs to be dressing, but I know for a fact that he was, leading into Sunday, extremely upset with how Matt Ryan was playing and loves Sam Ellinger. And I think if you're Frank Reich, you're no dummy. You know who signs your checks. You realize that, okay, I mean, the quarterback is not playing like we thought he would be playing. The owner really likes the other guy. And if the 37-year-old gets hurt, do we really need to see the 33-year-old Nick Foles? So now that an offensive line performance gave some life back into Matt Ryan and we saw what he's capable of when protected, which would lead you to believe that, in fact, the Colts can, you know, they're in, they're now within striking distance here within the division itself. Does that relegate back? No, I think it'll still be Ellinger as a backup. Which I 
I am fine with. I mean, I've had this conversation before. I know this differs from a lot of how people view backup quarterback in the NFL. If I've got a Band-Aid starter who is not going to get my team to the Super Bowl, then the backup for me needs to be the young guy. Because if that guy gets hurt, the starter, you're not going to deep January, early February football with some sort of stopgap band-aid. Right. Play the young guy and see what you got. And I, I'm not one of the belief that Ellinger is some, you know, the next Tom Brady or something outrageous, but might as well see what you got in the young guy. And then you've evaluated him, and now you can make a little bit more of a decision with a lot of answers at quarterback. Meanwhile, Jacob Eason's making his move in Carolina. <laughs> right? Threw a pick on Sunday, right? Filling in Five for PJ passes Walker. and threw a pick. One thing I did want to mention, I know you brought this up. I, I can't see Washington in the pregame locker room a week from Sunday saying, let's win one for the owner. Totally get like, it. Like more nationalized on the game. I don't view this as Washington's going to have extra motivation for the Colts. Yeah, I know. I get that. I'm just saying like now all of a sudden there's – here's the thing. I don't think it affects Washington's approach at all. But if you're a Colts player, don't you say to yourself, like, whoa, like our owner just went, called out the owner of this team we're playing. We sure as hell better beat them, right? Yeah, maybe it does have a li- Honestly, probably has more influence on the home team than the visiting team. Right. Uh, time, by the way, for 425 morning checkdown. 425 kick, What's though. That? 425 kick, so a few more eyes on that one than there will be in the old one. Who's, the, who's the lineup? Do we know? The uh, broadcast team? I, I do not know that, no. But I will be on it. I can assure you that. <laughs> I know that's. I'll be all over it. You have you have a fascination with the broadcast team. I will text you when you're in Europe. I, I will text you just so you know. Okay. You know, so if you, you call me in Europe, then you get that little bring, 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 bring. Like it, it, it. You get like the little Euro Pink Floyd really sound of the ring. Yeah. So no, you know, ringtone that you have that you have on the I iPhone. Mean, you, you can call me. I'm just saying, like I, I probably won't answer, but it, it, it's somehow like I don't know when you're in Europe. If you call somebody who is in Europe or I think even in Mexico, the the out, on your end, you hear the European double ring as opposed to just bring. Drew asks this. He goes, is it the owner or is it another example of Frank trying to get cute as he did with Jacoby? Having a specific package for short yardage plays. Ellinger is the game day backup and Foles is the backup if Ryan is out multiple games. Why was Foles the backup for the first six games of the season? Fifteen minutes before the top of the hour, Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. This is Kevin and Quarry here on 93.5, 107.5. The fan coming off of what I'm sure was a disappointing loss, although to a good Indiana Wesleyan team, Marion turned things around against St. Francis, got back on the right side of things, 37-10. Now it is Concordia who is next on the schedule. And joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk about that and more is the head coach of the Knights, Mark Henninger, who joins us. Coach, how are you? Good morning to you. Hey, I'm doing great here. How are you guys today? Uh, we're good. I Listen, I was wondering about this, and I probably asked you this before, but my, my guess is that you've got a pretty good feel on this. You'd like to win every game. I get that. But is there a benefit in having, you know, you guys got up to such a big start and winning big games by big margins, I mean. Was the Indiana Wesleyan game, I know you'd like to win every game, but but is there a value that can be found in coming up short in a game against a good team in Indiana Wesleyan and just seeing how your players respond to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously you want to win, right? Um, and, and, you know, we didn't 
You know, we, we felt like you go back and watch the game. We certainly had our chances to win, you know, and, and just didn't, didn't make the plays, you know, when it got down to it, you know, there's three or four plays there in that game that, you know, which, which most big games, you know, a really good football game is going to come down to about three or four plays, you know? And so, you know, we went back and looked at that one and, and, you know, we, we felt like there were some, you know, we left some plays on the field and, and, and didn't make them all, but yeah, I mean, you know, to, to your point, to ask your, answer your question, like, I think that, you know, going into that game, we really hadn't been tested at all, you know? And, and so, um, you know, and then, you know, you know, you go through and you, you play, you win, you know, four straight or five straight or whatever it was at that point, you know, and, and win by big margins. And, and, and then all of a sudden you play a really good, you know, really good football team, which Indiana Wesleyan is. And, and um, you know, we, we, we learned some tough lessons, but, you know, to our guys credit, I mean, I think we, um, you know, we were really disappointed, um, you know, walking off the field and, and, you know, and, and the next day, the you know film session the next day wasn't, wasn't real pleasant and you know there were a lot of you know the, the truth that had to be had to be faced and discussed and and uh you know but our guys you know they did a fantastic job and and they sat there and i think we learned you know we learned some lessons that, that you know ultimately make us a better football team you know so um you know we came back and and won a, you know for us what's you know what's a, a rivalry game a huge game you know up against st francis and um, you know, so I think our guys, our guys answered the bell well, and, and, you know, we've got a tough stretch, you know, here to, to finish out the season, which, um, you know, if we do it right, it, it puts us in line to, you know, play more tough games in the playoffs. Coach, I'm curious, uh, you know, a lot of chatter this week for us has been related to the Colts using such a no huddle approach on Sunday and, you know, very drastic from what they were doing early in the season. How much have you seen the college game evolve over the years with tempo and no huddle? Oh yeah, it's completely different. You know, it's completely different. You know, we talk about, you know, you you talk about a fullback right now, and and you know the players look at you like you got three <laughs> eyes. Like they have they have no idea what a you know back in back in my day, like a, a wide open offense was you know was you know eleven personnel, and you kept the fullback back there, and you took the the running back and widened that guy out like a slot receiver, and that was you know that was wide open back then. So. Um, it's completely different, you know, and, and you know, I, I should have, you know, I coached defense. I should have coached offense. It's a lot more fun to coach offense, you know, than it is coaching defense, trying to stop, you know, basically just all the tempo and the trick plays and, and the team we're getting ready to play this week in Concordia is going to, you know, the, they're going to throw a ton of different looks at you and, and you've got to make sure defensively, you got to make sure that, you know, your guys are, are really sound and, and solid and, and understand just kind of base rules and you've got to be able to adjust on the fly, but, uh, no, the game the game is completely different. RPOs and and just you know the, the way the rules are now and and what you can get away with on offense, it's a completely different game. But you guys run a pretty balanced offense in terms of pass versus run, do you not? No, we do. Yeah, we we want to be we want to be able to run the football. You know, I, I feel like you know to especially as you start getting here later in the year and you know colder weather and 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 playoff games and and just being able to control the tempo and control the clock. And, you know, we want to be able to run it, you know, but obviously, you know, and, and, you know, as teams start, teams realize that and they start loading the box up and, and they force you to throw it. So, you know, we've got to be able to do both. And that's kind of, you know, the, what our offensive philosophy here is that we want to be able to, you know, we want to be able to do whatever, you know, we say we're balanced. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we want to end the season with, you know, exact 50, 50 run pass yardage splits, but, um, you know, we want to be able to do what the defense allows us to do. You know, the defense is always going to have to give something up. Uh, we want to be able to take advantage of that. 
When you run a no huddle for any team, Coach, and I'm curious how this works. Mark Henninger of Marion University, the football coach, is our guest. When you run a no huddle, do you have which, – which is the case? Does the quarterback have – like three plays already designed in you know and so everybody knows what's what's coming next but when you have to audible does each play that you're calling automatically have an audible that's attached to it so that if if you're running a no huddle and the quarterback sees something that does not align with your particular play there's an automatic default that goes with that that all he has to do is say a code word and everyone knows okay you know, YXB now all of a sudden becomes play blank. Is that how it works, or how does that all kind of come together? Yeah, you, I mean, obviously it's different everywhere, you know, but but usually, yes, you know, you kind of have you have an idea, you get your base call, um, then I've, then everything is predicated then on what, you know, what look are you getting from the defense? Is that a good call or not? Does it match? Does it fit? You know, and, and you know, usually you're going to give your quarterback rules and, um, you know, hey, you know, and, and then, you know, how you do it, you know, really kind of varies from, from place to place. If you're going, you know, using code words or, or you know, but if you're going up tempo, then obviously you can't, you, know, you can't come to the line of scrimmage and, and, you know, have super long play calls. Everything has got to be pretty quick. And, um, you know, but yeah, you normally it's, you know, it's, Hey, here's the, this is the play that we want to run. This is the play that we're going to call. And then, you know, you take a look and see what the, you know, what the defense has given you. And if it's good, you run it. If it's not, then you change it. And, um, you know, but yeah, it's like that is that has become so so much of what football is now um, that like every there's there's a you know, there's a thousand different ways to do it. Mark Henniger is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline again. The Mary Knights five and one on the season at Concordia coming up on Saturday at one o'clock. Uh, Coach, three weeks out from the playoffs, three regular season games left. What are some of the biggest areas you want to see improvement from? Uh, to make sure you guys are, you know, battle tested come playoff time. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, offensively, it's it's just we've got to be we've got to be efficient. We've got to be able to you know stay on schedule. Like if if we're able to stay on schedule and and you know not have not have negative plays, not have just like the you know the five yard penalties and those types of things. If we're able to stay on schedule and and operate, then you know we're, we're generally you know pretty tough to beat. You know and. and you know, same thing defensively. It's it's about you know we we've got a we did a great job this past weekend. We got we got five takeaways this past weekend, and that that's really kind of become the big thing is just make sure that we, you know, give our offense as many opportunities to have the ball as possible. So you know we've got to continue to, you know, to to get takeaways. We've got to do we've got to be better, I think, and you know just in our in our pass rush of being able to put pressure on the quarterback, and, um, you know, and and actually you know end up with some sacks, not let that quarterback squeak out. And, and uh, and get yards and hurt us with the speed. So, um, you know, it's just we, we just got to continue to get better and, and, you know, keep playing hard and practicing hard every day. And, you know, we go, like I said, we've, we've got a really tough matchup this weekend. They've got, you know, they have lost, they have not lost a home game there since 2016. They were on like a 27-game win streak. And, wow. um, you know, we've, you know, we've gone up there twice, you know, in that time span and, and had teams that, you know, I felt like were better than they were and, and, and ended up, you know, not – finding ways to win those two games so um yeah it's uh, we got a really tough challenge and and uh you know we, we've had a good week of practice thus far and you know hopefully we just continue to get better it'll be the nights at concordia one o'clock on saturday and then a week from saturday home against sienna heights for the penultimate game of the season on senior day at 105 a week from saturday uh out on the west side coach best of luck appreciate the time and look forward to talking to you again 
Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on.